Luke 18. Before we explore this chapter, let's, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would ready our hearts. We want to be shaped by your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you, have your way. We recognize that you are at work in us, molding and shaping us. You've begun a good work, you'll complete it. So now help us, we pray. To, Father, listen, but not only listen, to respond with action, to be shaped by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Luke 18, Jesus tells two stories, one that involves a woman and another that involves a man. And this woman, she found herself under the oppressive arm of an unjust system and was determined to do something about it. And this man, well, he was in anguish. And he was part of that broken system, and he couldn't make things right. So she longed for justice, and he longed for mercy. And both longings are extremely relevant to our lives today, and they have everything to do with what it means to follow Jesus. Let's look at it together. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And we'll pause there. Luke tells us from the start why Jesus shared this parable with his disciples, this first parable, so that they would always pray and not lose heart so that they wouldn't grow weary, so that they wouldn't give in and give up. We've all experienced weariness in times of prayer. We've all experienced times of just exhaustion. And Jesus understood the wrestling match that prayer is. And he also understood how we would be tempted just to ride it off, just give in, give up. 
kind of whatever is going to happen is going to happen. What, what difference do, do, do my prayers actually make? You know, that kind of thinking can sink in over time. Can we really change anything? What part do we really play? What? But hear, hear me, church. Prayer is God's invitation into relationship, into communion with him. But it's also an invitation into the mission that he's on. See, God has chosen to use prayer as his primary means in accomplishing his will. Now think about that. God has sovereignly chosen to use prayer. So God is at work through prayer. It's not me and my power changing hearts and lives, but he's invited me in to pray. And so I'm invited in uh, to see him do great things. I'm asking him to do great things in the hearts and lives of others. And then he does those things. And so you see, I'm, I'm involved in his mission through prayer. I'm crying out to him. But in the process of praying, what happens? He's molding and shaping us, and he's helping our desires align with his desires. And God is, he's not this divine genie in a bottle where we just kind of rattle off the things that we want, and like a butler, just he goes away and comes back with it on a, on a, on a tray. Anything else? He does provide our needs. He does. And we can ask him. But he's invited us into something Something so glorious. He's invited us in on his mission to reach the lost. To interrupt the brokenness. And we do this through prayer. It's one of the primary ways. So Jesus sets up a story using a widow and a judge. Now listen, the judge represents the most powerful in society. Unfortunately, this judge doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect man. If this was your judge, you wouldn't be very happy. You're thinking, great. Just the kind of judge we want, right? No. So we get a little insight into his character. Doesn't fear God. Doesn't respect man. Not the judge you want assigned to your case. Unfortunately, judges of Jesus' day were seen as corrupt. They were. They were corrupt. And they were labeled as, as, a, as judge robbers because they were expected a bribe. Got the judge. Powerful, unjust. We got the widow. She represents the poor, the oppressed, those who were easily victimized, the most vulnerable in society. And God expresses concern for the widow throughout Scripture. He's going to take up the cause of the oppressed and of the widow. She has no one to defend her. No one. She, she could easily be taken advantage of. But what does she do? She, it says she kept coming to him, saying, give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice against my adversary. Have you ever uh, kept going to someone? It's just exhausting. And, and just pleading your case, you knew you were in the right. And so you just go to them, and you're just like, oh, listen. You just get exhausted over time, whether it's uh, your husband going to your wife, <laughs> trying to plead your case, whether you're a wife uh, uh, to your husband, or, or maybe um, parents with your children. You're just tired of them pleading their case. You're on the opposite end, and it's exhausting. It was exhausting for her, but she knew that she had been wronged, and she refused to stay quiet about it. She was determined to do something about the injustice. Now, what injustice was she experiencing? We're not told. 
I can imagine it had something to do with maybe her property or her possessions, something. Her husband, she's a widow. Her husband had died. Was someone taking advantage? Was somebody stealing what property belonged to her husband and, and then rightfully belonged to her? We don't know. But there was this injustice that she was facing, and she would not stop making her appeals to this unjust judge. So she's demonstrating a faith that refuses to give up. Refuses to give up. She is determined in the face of this injustice, in the midst of grief over the loss of her husband, in the middle of caring for her kids, in the middle of the brokenness of her life, she makes appeal after appeal to this unjust judge. And even though the judge refused to give justice, I don't know how many times, she refused to give up. She refused. And then look what happened in verses 4 and 5. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She wore him out. (laughs) She beat him down. And the imagery of being beat down, it comes from that of a boxer beating down his opponent. Just wore him out. He couldn't take it anymore. He's like, all right already. He gave her justice. What did he give her? Vindication. What did he give her? Oh, he, he showed or he proved that she was right. She was justified. He gave her a fair judgment, which meant punishment for her adversary and which meant vindication for her. She was declared right. And she walked away. She walked away with what rightfully belonged to her. It's a happy ending. Now, why does Jesus tell this story? Well, Jesus gets to the point in verse 6. He's arguing from lesser to greater. And he does that often. He says, will not God give justice to his elect, to his chosen, to his chosen children? Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? You see this unjust judge giving justice to this widow who makes her appeals and who comes pleading and she won't give up. She's determined, will not God who's just in all of his ways? And so we have to hit the pause button and we have to remember what God is like. We learn from Psalm 89 verse 14 what God is like. Righteousness and justice, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Oh, that's good news. God is right in all of his ways, and he is fair. He's just. Because we will be tempted from time to time to question his fairness, to question whether or not he's right, to question his goodness. It's just just the truth of the matter, if we're honest with ourselves. We go through stuff, and we're like, God, really? But this psalm reminds us of what is true of God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, and then steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Oh, that's a good verse to tuck away and just bring out when we need to be reminded of what God is like. So God is both loving and he is just. And the widow appealed to the most unjust judge that you can imagine. You, through prayer, and I, we're making appeals to the just judge overall. Is that even a category for you when you pray? You're making an appeal to the just judge overall of all. Uh, let me show you something else. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. It is a passage I have gone to so many times uh, when counseling others, uh, so many times when just encouraging myself in, in, in things that I'm facing. But look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. 
He committed no sin. Jesus committed no sin. He didn't do anything wrong. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When they reviled, he did not revile in return. He didn't pay back wrong for wrong. When he suffered, he did, he did not threaten them, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What did Jesus do in the face of injustice? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Well, who judges justly? God the Father. And this is good news for you and I because when we face injustice, when we face oppression, when we face wrong that has been done to us and we're like, come on, what's going on here? God, do you know about it? He does. And we can entrust our lives, we can even entrust the circumstance to the one who judges justly, which means this, God will judge the wrong done to you. You don't have to uh, get back. You don't have to pay back wrong for God will judge He's the judge. And you say, well, what about uh, circumstances that f- you feel like he, he or she get, got away with it? What about a, a, a Christian who's, who's following after the Lord and then they're, they're cut down, their life is snuffed out, they're murdered, or, or what have you? That doesn't seem very just. God is a just God. Nothing outside of his notice. That person will have to answer for what they did. All of us will have to stand before the, the judge of all and, and, and give an account, answer for the wrong we've done. And so who will be our defense? Well, we'll get to that. But right now, I want us to take comfort in the fact that he knows and he cares and he acts and we can entrust everything to him. You've had wrong done to you. I know you have. Entrust it to the Lord. Entrust it to the one who judges justly. Jesus did it. We can do it. And go back to Luke 18, and Jesus uh, is saying, um, will he delay long? Will the Father, will this one who is just in all of his ways delay long in delivering justice for those who are oppressed? And we think, man, it sure feels like he delays long. And the Psalms are filled with how long, O Lord, prayers. The Psalms are filled with laments. It's okay to pray those prayers. Like, how long, Lord? I'm trying to hold on to the, the truth that you won't delay, but it feels like delay to me. How long? God can handle those prayers. Enthusiasm and faithfulness in prayer, man, they, they, they get weakened over time. Right? Like, just time itself. When we're praying for something, we're praying for a loved one, we're praying for circumstances to change, praying for God to intervene and our enthusiasm about that thing right our enthusiasm and our faithfulness to give ourselves to prayer it it wears out over time if we're not careful then you add to that suffering and you add to that abuse and you add to that all kinds of just thoughts swirling around in our heads and our hearts and it can just wear us down and Jesus knows this and that's why he's telling this parable and he's saying don't lose heart don't stop praying And then we see this beautiful verse, verse 8. I tell you, he, God, will give justice to them speedily. All right, just stay there for a moment. Let's just hold on to that. He will give justice. He will give justice. Oh, he will give justice speedily. His timetable might be different than yours. Jesus says it's speedily. All right, in the grand scheme of things, it's going to be speedily. Here's the deal. God will give justice to his elect. That's a truth I want to hold on to. 
That's a truth I want to run with. I want you to as well. Because we will face injustice. We will face really hard things in life. You have faced those things. And truth is, I read this passage, I can't help but think what's going on in our culture right now in society where many friends of mine are feeling exhausted, where I have felt exhaustion in the face of racial injustices of our day. We're tired, we're frustrated, we're longing for rights, for wrongs to be made right. We long for it. Regardless of what you're thinking about the, the, the uh, events of our day, regardless of where you are, we can all agree that there are injustices happening that need to be dealt with. Wrongs that need to be made right. And so what does progress look like? We can talk about the injustices, but how do we move forward so that I'm thinking about my sons, what does 10, 20, 30 years down the road look like so that they live in a society that's different than today's? What does progress look like? Well, it looks like dialogue. It looks like listening, learning from others who experience life differently than you and I uh, because of the color of their skin. It looks like showing that we care being slow to speak and slow to post and it involves prayer because there's injustice happening and when we think about what prayer is in light of this text prayer is protest sometimes very quiet protest private protest against the evil and the pain and the injustice of this broken world. It's petitioning the judge of the highest court, and it's saying, I'm not okay with this. I don't like what's going on. And do you know that when we do that, we stand in a long line of faithful men and women of God who have done the same over time? David, Jeremiah, I mean, just Daniel. How long, O Lord, are you going to allow this to happen. But see, when we do this, we're going to the one who can truly, he can do something about it. And, and so this praying to him, this, it involves asking, it involves seeking, it involves knocking, it involves waiting, which feels like forever sometimes. And there will be resistance of all kinds when we pray. And Jesus is saying this, do not lose heart. Don't grow weary when you pray. You're going to be tempted to give in and give up, but don't. Make it a lifestyle. Jesus drops in a question that we're all meant to wrestle with. He talks about, will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? Uh, So what, what kind of faith is he looking for? What kind of faith is Jesus looking for? He's looking for the kind of faith that the widow exhibited. A never giving up, a determined faith in the face of injustice that keeps saying, give me justice. So don't give up. Church, you're longing for justice, whether it's personal, in your own life, whatever you're experiencing, wrongs done to you. You're longing for justice before the judge of all will be answered. It will be answered. Second, longing for mercy. So we move from one courtroom scene to the next. You say, hey, this isn't a courtroom, this is the temple. I know. It turns into a courtroom. See, Luke tells us that this was told, this story was told to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they were right in God's eyes. 
So two men go up to the temple to pray, and prayer happened two times a day at the temple during the sacrifice. And so there was one at dawn and one at 3 p.m. And wherever you were, you were to stop and pray. But oftentimes people would go to the ceremony itself, and there would be instruments playing, the clashing of cymbals and horns. And during this time, people would pray to the Lord. And it was at this time that the Pharisee is there, and he's a separatist. The Pharisee is part of a religious group of Pharisees who would honor the law of the Lord, but they would also set up other guidelines, man-made guidelines, so that they wouldn't break the law. Uh, And so they try to abide by these other guidelines to protect them from breaking the law of the Lord. And so here he is standing by himself. He's praying. He represents faithfulness in his day. And his prayer, though, is filled with eyes. Five times he says, I. Well, let's check it out. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Morally upright, religiously devoted, a bit of a bragger. He doesn't say how great God is. He doesn't ask God anything to, to give him anything. He just, he talks about himself. He compares himself with others, even the tax collector in his presence, and he feels good about it. He feels superior uh, to the tax collector. Looks down on him. Why does he do this? Well, because the tax collector is vile. He's offensive. Why is the tax collector offensive? Because he's part of that cruel system, that oppressive regime that all the Jews were experiencing and under. He worked for Rome. He collected money for Rome. In addition to that, uh, he's taking more than is necessary, so he's stealing. He's a thief. Politically, the tax collector is a traitor. Religiously, he's unclean. At best. What's he doing in the temple? What's he even doing in my presence? The Pharisee's thinking. I'm glad I'm not like him. I fast. I tithe, but church, don't picture the Pharisee, I know it's hard, don't picture the Pharisee as a villain. Because the Pharisee was not a picture of hypocrisy in Jesus' day. But Jesus is going to turn this around, and he's going to help those who were trusting in themselves, in their own righteousness, see that it's, it's, it's wrong of them to do that. That they, they, they need to stop doing that. They're, and they're feeling good about trusting in themselves. Listen, this is a trap. And none of us here are going to think, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been trusting in myself. It's not easily seen. But when God begins to, you know, pick that scab, or I don't know if you like that illustration, but if he begins to kind of open it up and help us to see what's, oh, my, okay, I've been trusting in the wrong things. And I don't know what that is right now for you, but listen, this is for all of us to hear. The Pharisee assumed God was on his side, didn't he? And it was an easy mistake for him to make. All right, there are a lot of myths out there in our day. Have you heard the myth that we will swallow 12 spiders in our lifetime? Have you heard that? That's so gross. How? For those of us who sleep with our mouths open, maybe that's how. Spiders just jumping in. I don't know, that's gross. Or the myth where you, uh, it takes seven years for gum to, you always tell your kids that. Yeah. It's going to be seven years before you digest that. They freak out. What about the myth that goes like this? Being good is good enough for God. 
I'm a good person. I've never murdered anyone or done anything even close to that. So God will accept me. He'll give me the head nod, right? He'll let me in. I'm not sleeping with anyone else's wife. I'm not, I ain't killing, I'm, I'm a good person. It's as if we believe God has these huge scales and just weighs out all the good against the bad, and that's not it at all. It's not how it works. We'll come back to that. Let's talk about the tax collector. Verse 13. Oh, what's he doing? He's standing far off. He won't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He actually beats his breast. Uh, what's this a sign of? Distress, angst, repentance. Why? Because he knows. He knows deep down that he's crooked. He knows deep down that he's part of the corrupt system that everyone hates. He knows that he's the oppressor. He knows that he's unjust and he's ashamed of it. And he doesn't know how to make things right. He knows he cannot make things right on his own. And so what does he do? He prays this beautiful one-line prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's owning up to the fact that he's a sinner. And he's owning up to the fact that he needs mercy And it's actually something that we all need. Everyone in this room. And what this reveals is that he understands there's a brokenness in the relationship between him and God. So here's the courtroom scene. Oh, he's at the temple, but he's before the judge. The judge of all. And he feels it. We live every day before the judge of all. And we will stand before the judge of all one day. And what we need is mercy. We need the undeserved favor and kindness of God that brings pardon and forgiveness. And so he speaks to the one who can do something about his condition. That's what this tax collector does. And he asks for what we all must ask for. We all must ask for mercy. Now, maybe this is the first time you've heard this. Maybe this is uh, the first time you've even considered The fact that you are living every day before God, before his face, before the just judge of all, and that you need to cry out for mercy. Maybe you've done it years ago, but mercy's like really kind of dull to you. It's boring. And and, and you've actually started functioning more like that Pharisee potentially and playing the comparison game and looking at the scale and saying, "Ah, I'm a pretty good person. But you've forgotten the depth and the beauty uh, of mercy. Well, here's what happens. Verse 14. Look, look what happens. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified and everyone listening to Jesus would have gasped. What? No one expected this. This was a shock to everyone standing there. He went away justified? Only one went away justified and it was this one? Not the Pharisee? He went away forgiven. He went away accepted in God's eyes. He went away declared right in God's eyes, righteous. He went away with a restored relationship. What? Turn with me to Romans. I've I've said this before. Romans chapter 3, if I could pick one chapter... If I was being arrested for my faith, thrown in prison for the rest of my life, had to rip out one page in the Bible, ball it up and hide it under my tongue so that they wouldn't know I had it, um, I would rip out Romans chapter 3. 
Specifically, I'd want these verses. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, the rightness of God, this righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness, they they testify of it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared right by His, what? By His grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's how. Whom God put forward as a propitiation or an atoning sacrifice by His blood to be received by faith. And this was all to show God's righteousness. It was all to show God's righteousness because In his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, listen. Jesus' death for you and me, what does this accomplish? What does this prove? What does this show? Why does this rightness before God, why does this righteousness before God that that comes by faith, what does it accomplish? It shows us that God remains just and He is the justifier of those who by faith look to Jesus. And church, we want God to remain just in all of His ways because if if God is not just, if God is not holy, He's not the God of the Bible. He can't be trusted. But He is just. And so how does a just and holy God welcome sinners like you and me into a relationship with him what does he do with it here's what he's done in his in his wisdom and in his love he sent his son to be that atoning sacrifice to stand in our place and to receive the punishment that you and i deserve so that we could be justified but he would remain just it's beautiful and we're forever just just exploring the depths of the beauty of that story a righteousness that could be ours by faith a rightness before God that could be ours by faith in Jesus? This is why we're so just bonkers over the, the goodness and the love of God. It just, what? This is why we're so humbled by grace. He remains just, and I'm justified? Okay, back to Luke 18. This one, this tax collector leaves justified. So I don't, I don't want us to leave this story thinking, I'm glad I'm not like the Pharisee. I want us to leave this story saying either this, have mercy on me, a sinner, or God, thank you for your mercy on me, a sinner, or, or maybe both. So the tax collector looked away from himself. He humbled himself before God. He received what he longed for, and that was mercy. God stepped into his mess. He came to his defense. He'll come to yours. He'll come to your defense. Jesus is all the defense we need. So don't trust in yourself. Your longing for mercy before the judge of all will be answered. Now, finally, we need to receive both this justice and this mercy like a child. Let's read in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. 
And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them in, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And so I picture these well-intended uh, parents bringing their infants, their, their babies. They think they're the cutest, of course, uh, because every parent does. Um, they're, they're bringing their babies to Jesus for him to touch them, for him to bless them. And the disciples aren't having it. They're like, this is Jesus' time, and you're bringing babies? Come on. The disciples would not have signed up for local kids. They would not have wanted to serve in local kids. Uh, but here they're, 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 they're thinking, are you kidding me? Get these kids out of here. And Jesus turns it around and says, no, for such belongs the kingdom of God. And then he goes even further and he says, if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you won't even enter it. Now remember, what's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the just and loving rule of God through his son. So Jesus went around proclaiming the kingdom and he demonstrated the rule of God, the kingdom of God through his ministry. How did he do it? Well, he went about healing people, healing them of sickness, showing God's power over sickness, casting demons out, showing God's power over the demonic realm, over evil, uh, freeing people from bondage to sin, showing God's power over our own sinful hearts. And this is what Jesus did in his ministry, eventually over death itself. And, And so Jesus is the king of the kingdom. When we proclaim the kingdom, when we talk about living under God's rule and his kingdom and living in the kingdom, we're talking about bowing our lives to King Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you cannot enter the kingdom unless you do it like a child. Well, how how do you do that? There's something about the complete helplessness of a child, an infant. An infant needs everything done for them. Ask me, I know. But it models humble trust. How many times have I caught Silas when he was falling off the end table or tripping? It's like, whoa, whoa, just saved a tooth. Oh, another another thing of stitches. A couple times I missed him. Got some stitches. (laughs) Here's the deal. Receiving the kingdom like a child models humble trust and dependence. And that's what Jesus is after. Children receive. They really don't have much to give. And that's how we're to receive the kingdom, the just and loving rule of God. Let's receive his just judgment on the wrong done to us. Let's keep trusting him for justice, and let's keep trusting him for mercy the way a child would receive from the loving hand of their father or mother. Humble dependence. Now, maybe you found yourself under the oppressive arm of a system, and you are determined to do something about it. Good. Good. Maybe you're facing injustice. I don't know what kind, but you're determined to do something about it. I I pray that your determination leads you to prayer, to the one who ultimately knows what to do and how to do it. Keep praying. Keep asking. Let it be a lifestyle. Church, as followers of Jesus, he has instructed us how to pray. He's called us to pray. He's invited us in. Let your kingdom come. Oh, let your rule and your reign be evident. Oh, God, we're trusting you to bring justice. We're trusting you to bring mercy. We're, we're, we're to move forward with that heart, that mindset. But let me tell you, we're going to lose heart. We're going to grow weary. And Jesus says, don't do it. Be like that widow who persists and who was determined in the face of injustice and who didn't give up. And remember, you don't have an unjust judge. You have a just judge on your side who's for you. And finally, maybe you're in anguish. You know 
You're ashamed of what's happening in your life. You don't know what to do about it. And so you're here today, and you, you're saying, I can relate. I need mercy. I need this favor. I need this, this kindness. I need forgiveness. Ask for it. He will bring it. He will answer that prayer. Let's receive both as, as a child. We can do that. We can do that. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that we have received from Jesus. We want to run with it. We don't want to leave it on the pages here. We want to run with it. Help us to run with it. Help us to remember the widow when we grow weary in prayer. Help us to be determined in the face of injustice to bring all of our concern to you. And help us to remember that we are all dependent on your mercy. Protect us from trusting in our own good works. Protect us from believing, uh, Lord, that what we do is enough. No, Lord, help us to trust in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. Each day we pray, amen.